Okay, guys, what I'd like you to do is, once again, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We're going to continue in our study of John, and as I mentioned to you before, we're in that second part of the gospel, and one of the highlights that we see here in the second part is that there is some outright animosity, hostility, and rejection going on here of Jesus. And you've got to be like me, wondering why. When you look at what he is doing, what he's even teaching, how can they be upset with him? But they are. They are. And that's even true today. Okay, so, okay, lay aside whatever's going on in our society for a moment, okay? And there's a lot of different opinions about the, what the church should be doing, what the church is saying and not saying. Just, just forget all of that. When you get down to the bare bones of what Christianity really is about, it's about Jesus. Pure and simple. It's about Jesus and what he's communicating to each of us personally and what he wants from each of us. And if you remove all the other stuff that's going on, institutionally or whatever, if you lay all that aside and you get back to Jesus, then you have to just wrestle with who Jesus is and what he wants. Now, the sad thing is even when you wrestle with who Jesus is and what he wants, the scripture makes it clear that most people are just going to reject him. And that's really dumbfounding, but they have their reasons. And here's the surprising thing. God already knew that. God already knew that he would be rejected, that the most would say to him, I don't want you. I reject you. He's not surprised by people's rejection of him. I'm surprised a lot. Because I, I know him and I want everybody else to know him. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? It, it's like I've had this happen a few times in my life where I meet someone and I develop a relationship with them and I get so excited about them. I want everybody else to meet that person. And then a few times through the years, I have introduced other people that I know to the person that I'm excited about. And then later on, I'll say, well, what did you think of so-and-so? And they're like, oh, yeah, he's okay. You mean you're not excited about him? No. What's the big deal with him? Actually, if you keep going on in the conversation, pressing them, they might tell you, well, you know, he does do this irritating thing. Have you noticed that? And then you're like crushed. Like, you don't know him like I know him. It's the same thing that happens in the relationship to Jesus. The longer you walk with him, the more you see him interact in your lives, the more you see him bring you through things, You get more excited about him. You want others to know him more intimately, but a lot of times people don't want that, do they? And there are reasons, and a lot of what's going on here with John in chapter 7 is he's telling you the reasons. But he's also telling you that God understands that, and but yet he gives a window. A window of opportunity to respond to him. But that window eventually is going to close. And that's what we see happening here is we're going to see a reaction, but we're going to see that he again opens that window for them to respond. 
And he makes a promise about what happens if you respond. So let's look at the passage together. We're going to focus on verses 32 to 39. And we're going to discuss a few things here. So, verse 32 mentions the Pharisees. Let me explain to you who they are real quick before I read the passage. In Jewish society, kind of like American society, you have different groups of people and they align themselves with different politically or socially or even religiously. So the Pharisees were such a group. They were a political force, but they were mainly a religious force. They were primarily middle-class, wealthy individuals who focused on keeping the law. They, they adhered to a strict interpretation of what we call the Old Testament. And they very much were into legalism, fund, uh, obeying everything, even the traditions, mostly the traditions of the elders. And they considered everybody else, are you ready for this, losers. Well, that's just the modern way of saying it. Their way of saying it is sinners, worthy of hell. Now, we would look at them as being upstanding citizens in our country. They're very moral. Or they presented themselves as being moral. But they got a problem with Jesus. So let's look at what verse 32 says. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said? You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, so here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to really bake, break it up into three sections. We're going to see the reaction. We're going to make some points there that I think are very important for you and I to see. We're going to see that the time is short, and then we're going to see the invitation. So let's talk about the reaction. Verse 32 mentions the Pharisees. So up to this point, we've heard Jesus talking. He's telling people to come to him. He's also pointing out to them that their rejection of him, they want to get rid of him and kill him. He's basically likening himself to the Messiah. He's basically identifying himself as the Messiah. Now, the problem is the Pharisees heard that and they reacted because Jesus dared to do something that should not have been done. You know what he did? He healed somebody on the Sabbath. Now, just so you understand, the Sabbath is Saturday. 
Starts Friday evening, goes to Saturday evening. Now, for some of you, I remember being raised in the South. I was always told the Sabbath was the Sunday. How many of you were told the Sabbath was Sunday? Yes, okay. We've Christianized it into the Sunday. No, the Sunday is the Lord's Day. The Sabbath is actually Saturday. So to an observant Jew, the Sabbath is Saturday. But Jesus decided to do something on the Saturday. And that was, how dare he heal a man? And that's what they're upset with him about, that he would dare do these things on the Sabbath. And so here's the point I want you to see. A couple points here. First of all, they were bothered that Jesus did not fit with their system. They were bothered that Jesus did not fit with their system. Now, it would have been a different story, folks, if Jesus came along and acted like a Pharisee. If Jesus came along and fit with what the Pharisees were doing, even advocating for them, not hanging out with losers or sinners, in fact, isn't that what they accused Jesus of? Being a drunkard? A partier? Because he hung out with who? Sinners and tax collectors? And how dare he heal on the Sabbath? Now, if Jesus had just gone along and said, well, you know what? I know you got a problem there. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Because I can't do it today. If he had, had come, they would have been okay with him. But the problem was, is Jesus was not acting according to their system. He was not acting according to what they thought should happen. But here's the problem. And maybe you want to write this down. God never acts according to what we think should happen. Really? Yeah, you know, I, I hear it all the time. God's on our side. Really? Do you remember when Joshua, when he was getting ready to take Jericho the night before, the angel of the Lord, the captain of the army of the Lord, angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate state, shows, shows up, and he's got a sword in hand, and Joshua sees him, falls on his face, and says, whose side are you on? And the angel replied, I'm on nobody's side, for I am the captain of the army of the Lord of hosts. I'm God. God's not on anybody's side. The question is, are we on his side? Not, is he on our side? See, this is the reality. Sometimes it's so easy for us to get so passionate about what we believe. And these Pharisees were definitely passionate about what they believe. When Jesus comes along, he does the exact opposite of what they should do. In fact, what he does isn't even wrong. But they think it's wrong because it doesn't fit with their system. And so they reject him. And here's how they reject him. The very thing that happens is that they send out officers. Now, what do you mean they send out Roman soldiers? No, they didn't have that authority, but they sent out temple officers. They sent out officers from the temple who maintain order in the temple to seize Jesus at the first opportunity they could when Jesus was in the temple. Why? Because here's the point. They made a decision to get rid of Jesus. 
They made a decision to get rid of Jesus. Now, this is where we're at today in our society. This is where humans are at, period. You have life figured out, and you do. Now, we're not going to have a discussion time for you to share how you figured out life, because it will end up in an argument. Why? Because you figured out life this way, but the guy in the next sections figured it out this way, and the two ain't the same. And we'll have passion being expressed. Now, here's what happens. When you get passionate about what you think things should be like, when someone comes along and they're the opposite of that, you want to get rid of them. Now, you're not wanting to kill them. Hopefully not. But you don't have any time for them. You write them off. And we're doing a whole lot of that today, aren't we? We're writing people off. But with Jesus... You can't just write him off. He's got a following. He's got people who, who are excited about him. He's got people who are saying, this is the prophet. This is the Messiah, the Christ. This is the one, the promised one of Israel, the son of David. And so they want to what? Kill him. Kill him. And listen, this is how crazy it gets, okay? So when we get over to chapter 11... We're going to see Jesus raise a guy from the dead, Lazarus, who's been in the grave three days. He's going to raise him up. That's pretty exciting. Have you ever seen anybody raised from the dead? No, we haven't. If that happened, would you say that's amazing? Yeah. But you want to know how the Pharisees respond? Get over a little bit further to the gospel. It reads that they wanted to not just kill Jesus, they want to kill who? Lazarus. Why? Because he's inconvenient. Why? Because he's contrary to their system. Now, here's the interesting thing, and this is what I want you to understand. God's not surprised by any of this. He's not moved to, oh my goodness, what's going on? If anyone understands the human heart better than anyone, it's God. But here's what he does. Even in spite of this, he still reaches out. And that's what we're going to see here. The next thing we're going to see here is that Jesus brings up the point that the time is short. Okay? The time is short. What do you mean? Look with me at verse 33 and 34. He's talking about his time among them. Jesus understands where everything is heading. He knows the path that is before him. He knows that he has to go to the cross and die. He understands all of this. And here's what he's telling the crowd. He's telling the crowd. He's telling those Pharisees. He's telling anyone who listens to him. Look at what it says, verse 33. I shall be with you a little while longer than I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. What's he doing here? Well, the first thing I want you to see is, is that the time with Jesus was ending. The time with Jesus was ending. The time of the opportunity to interact with him was coming to a close. Now, trust me, if you were one of the disciples who left everything to follow him, 
you would be like, what? In fact, we're going to see that reaction from them a little bit later in the gospel. What do you mean you're going to the cross? You can't do that. We gave up everything to follow you. The time is short. There is a window of opportunity, and there it is, and then it disappears. And that's true, not just in the reality that Jesus isn't here, but the reality of Jesus being presented to people today. The opportunity is now, because why? Time is short, and that window will close. Here's what else that happens. Look with me at verse 35 and 36. The Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we should not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? So here's what's going on. So they're listening to him. You're going somewhere? We can't find you? What do you intend to go to among the dispersion? So let me help you remember what the dispersion is. So everybody remembers in the Old Testament, especially if you're in Kings, you had the northern kingdom, the ten tribes in the north. You had the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin in the south. They were two different kingdoms. The first kingdom was conquered by Assyria. And what happened when Assyria came in? They took those ten tribes, or what was left of those ten tribes, and spread them out throughout their kingdom. A little bit later, a few hundred years later after that, the southern kingdom is destroyed by the Babylonians and they are taken away into captivity to Babylon and spread throughout the kingdom there. That's called the dispersion. It exists to this day. You know that there are Jews all over the world because they have been dispersed many times. The last great dispersion happened in A.D. 135 when Rome finally came in and destroyed the nation and spread the Jews throughout the world, and that's what we have in the situation that we have today. In fact, it's amazing to me. I was reading an article the other day. Do you realize there are Jews in China? They look like Chinese, but they're Jewish. And they're migrating back to Israel. That's amazing, isn't it? It's kind of wild. And so they're listening to Jesus and they're like, where's he going? Out there in the dispersion to teach the Greeks? They didn't understand what's going on. And here's, what's, here's what I want you to see. They could not understand what Jesus was saying. Here they are. They're still not getting it. They can't see it. They're not getting it. So let me just make you help you with a point here. Okay, all of us have shared about Jesus with somebody, right? Hopefully. And you think about that person you shared with, maybe one time, more than once, several times, continually. And one of the things that can be frustrating to you about sharing your faith is this. They don't see what you're saying. You ever had that frustration? You're sitting there, it makes perfect sense to you, you are telling them this is the truth, this is how he worked in your life, and they're like, huh? What? Are you crazy? They can't comprehend. You maybe even open your Bible and show them from the Bible, and they're like, well, that's a good story, but what does that mean? 
They don't see it. And this is the point that John is wanting you to understand. Here's Jesus. He's telling them, I'm only going to be here a short time. I'm going back to the one who sent me. Where's he going? I don't think he's going back to Galilee. Is he going beyond that? Among the nations? What's he saying? Did you catch what he was saying? Can somebody explain to me what he was saying? That's the world we live in. That's where we're at. But here, even in spite of that, he gives an invitation. What's the invitation? Look with me now. We're going to look at verses 37 to 39. So on the last day of the feast, okay? So they're in a, when they had a feast, it wasn't just for one day. It was for several days in a row. So on the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up in a temple. And here's what he says. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. We've heard that before. Remember when he was talking to the woman at the well in John 4? If you knew who, had, who was here, and you would ask him of water, and he would give you, and out of you would flow rivers of living water. Remember he said that to the Samaritan woman? Here, look what he says. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit has not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, so I'm going to share four things about this invitation. It's interesting that Jesus, when he talks about coming to him, he talks about them receiving something that will bring satisfaction, that will answer a thirst. What's he doing here? He's getting right to the issue of what's going on with humanity. So he uses something that everybody can understand. If anyone thirsts, okay, if anyone thirsts, so like this morning I seem to be struggling with a little bit of a dry throat, so i got to have something to satisfy my throat. Ah, green tea, okay? Now, how long will that satisfy me? Hopefully till the end of this service. Okay? But if not, I'll take another sip. But it's not everlasting. There's an end point here, right? Okay. But he's saying to them, listen. If you thirst, I will give you living water that out of you will flow. What's he talking about here? He's dealing with the first issue that I think is true for anyone. Jesus calls anyone to come to him for satisfaction. He's getting right to the issue of humanity. What do you mean the issue of humanity? Folks, you and I even though we look for different things in our own way and we're, we think that whatever it is is just with us, we're looking for, let's be honest, satisfaction. There is something missing within us that we are trying to find and something to fill and to satisfy. And it can be different for each of us. What do you mean? 
So, okay. So you come to a place where you, okay, you've decided that what I need is, okay, here's one. I hear it all the time. If I get married, everything will be great. Young couples say that all the time. Maybe you said that. And the older couples are like, okay, we're excited for you. But we know that doesn't bring satisfaction. If I have kids, it'll be great. Yeah, but not truly sad. When we have grandkids, if I get that promotion at work and that bigger paycheck, then I will be satisfied. Yeah, okay, so I'm 55. I can, say, I can think about it. How many times have I said that? Did you understand what I'm saying? We are longing for something, and so we're seeking for something that will bring satisfaction. If I get that deer, didn't get him, I'll get him a muzzle loader. Okay, so what if you get him? How long is that satisfaction? Well, I'll get it mounted, and I'll talk my wife into putting it in the main room. And I'll see it there. And they can hang lights on it at Christmas. Yeah, but how long is that satisfaction? After a while, you're kind of like, oh, i got to dust it, huh? There's no satisfaction. Why? Because what is missing in our lives can only be satisfied by who? God. And so he's, he's issuing this invitation. Even though they, they can't understand, he's trying to get them to, to understand, look, you want that satisfaction. If you are thirsty spiritually in your life, I offer you something that will bring true satisfaction. That's what he's talking about here. That's where the rest is. What do you mean the rest? You know what? I'd like to say that George has got it together. I have figured it out because I'm up here teaching you, okay? But I haven't got it figured out because you know what? Just check with me on any given day of any given week and I can tell you what I'm looking for that day to bring satisfaction. And if I get it, does it bring satisfaction? No, because the next day I'm looking for something else. But God's patient with me. And all the while he's there saying to me, why are you going there, George? Why are you pursuing that? Why are you thinking that? I'm right here. I will bring satisfaction to your life. Just find me. I'm right here. So Jesus calls anyone to come to him for satisfaction. Here's the second thing I want you to see. He, those who come to him and believe will receive the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
out of his heart, the one who comes to him and believes in him, out of his heart will flow the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. See, when you and I become believers, the moment we give our lives and decide that we're following him, the moment we commit our lives, whether it was you praying or whatever, the moment you decided to follow him, at that moment of faith, the Holy Spirit entered into your life. And he's there forever. And he's working in your life. And out of your life comes the flow, the outflow of what he's doing there. Many of us are not even aware of it. In fact, we get freaked out. We get freaked out by what we see on TV about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you right now, that is not... If you think that's what the Holy Spirit is, you've got a wrong perception the Holy Spirit is God. He is a person. And what he produces in your life, you want to know what he produces in your life? Go to Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. He produces character. He produces what is right in our life. That's the work of the Spirit in our life. And so he's, he's saying that those who come into him and believe will receive the Holy Spirit. Now here's what it is. He promises that the Spirit's presence will flow out of their lives. Out of their life will come what? Rivers of living water. What does that mean? The Spirit's work is going to flow out of their life. What does that mean? One of the things that flows out of our life is what? Because the Spirit, love. The way that we treat other people the way that we interact with them. I used to be, can I be honest with you, as a young Christian 30-some years ago, when, when I was in this little independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina, you know, you'd meet some great, there were some great, wonderful saints. And then there were other people who knew a lot about Jesus, but I'll just be honest with you, they were just, can I be honest with you, miserable, mean, but buddy, could they answer a Bible question? And I tried to, can I be honest with you, when I read the scripture, I tried to reconcile that in my mind. How, how is that possible? To know all that stuff about Jesus, but be belligerent. I, I remember one time, Okay, so this is South Carolina, all right? So it's a little bit different up here in the north, but it's South Carolina. And I remember one time coming to church, and this black couple comes into the church. And everybody's like, oh, it's a black couple. And they came in and sat down, third row from the front. And they were there for worship. And at the end of the service, I said hi to them. I wasn't a pastor, I was just somebody attending there. I was a college kid. And then as they left, because I'm in the line, back then, preachers would be at the door shaking your hand. Okay, remember those days? So I'm in line to say goodbye to my pastor. This couple's in front of me. They walk out. I say goodbye to my pastor. Then the deacon at the door who's holding the door for everybody to get out. As soon as that couple left, he looked at me and said, don't they have their own church to go to? I'm a new Christian. I'm dumbfounded. Where did that come from? I'm going to tell you right now, it didn't come from the Holy Spirit. 
Because when the Spirit is in your life, He flows out of your life in the way that you are towards other people. Did you understand what I'm saying? In the way that you interact with other people. What do you mean? Because out of your life comes the fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. Now, does that mean we're going to be perfect in our interactions with each other? No, don't get that wrong. It's a process. But something changes. Something changes because who's changing you? God is. God is changing you. Here's the final thing I want you to see here. When does this promise take place? The promise of the Spirit will occur after Jesus is glorified. He's making that point here. Here he is in chapter 7. He's letting you know, when do you get this Holy Spirit? When Jesus dies on the cross, which for us, he's already died on the cross. Guess what? When we get to John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, he says, I'm going away, but I'm going to send to you another helper, the Holy Spirit. And he will be with you. See, the opportunity with Jesus was closing, but he was promising what? Something more. For all of us. The question is, do we want it? Well, I want salvation. No, that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking if you want salvation. You know, that, that, that's, that should be obvious to people. Yes, we want the Lord. We want to be saved. We want forgiveness. We want the relationship with him. We, I understand that. We, that's obvious. But I'm asking something more here. And the question is, do you want God working in your life daily? Guiding you. Changing you. That's really, can I be honest with you, that's what fruit means. The fruit there is the, what you become. Changing who you are to the person that you were supposed to be. Changing you to the person that you're supposed to be. It reminds me of a story of, of, a, of a guy who, who chiseled out great works of art. And so he had this big, huge, ugly piece of granite there. And the guy says, what are you going to make with that? He says, oh, I see this. Out of that? Yes, it's what it will become. That's God with us. He describes you and I as, are you ready for this? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, his masterpiece. Created for what? Good works. But the question is, do we allow him to do that work in our life? And that's what I hope you'll do. Let me pray for you.